Good evening, saints of the most high. Good evening. Tonight's date is April 28th, 2022. And we are excited to be with you this Thursday evening. Now, tonight, we're going to talk to you about donkeys, death, and royal studs. Oh, yeah. Which, in fact, is the title of our message tonight, Donkeys, Death, and Royal Studs. Our body is growing in every way. Yes. These are some special days that we're living in, church. Come on, we're growing in holiness in the house of God. We're growing in partnership, both with God and with his people. Somebody growing in partnership with the people of God. Yeah. Guys, we're growing in awareness of our generational purpose. Man, what could be more impactful or important than those things? And we're growing in it. We've been talking for weeks about two donkeys. We're talking about two ordinary, plain Jane asses. But they had a supernatural purpose. That's right. Guys, the fact that is in our generations, there's a continual process going on. This process that we're becoming intimate with, a process of death and resurrection. You see, one generation is fading away like the setting sun. And yet, another generation, they're coming alive at the very same time, just like light that is dawning forth. Do you believe that light is dawning? You know, in dark days like we're living in right now, I often wish that we had men like Leonard Ravenhill, like Charles Finney, men like C.T. Studd, men of the Cambridge Seven. But the truth is, their race is done. And that had to happen so that resurrection life could begin to be birthed in us. Come on, Church, we want to tell you tonight is the night for resurrection to burst forth in us so we can walk in the same power that they did. That's right. Saints, for the sake of the same gospel that they preached, resurrection power must come alive in us. Look, as I hear Peyton listing men like Leonard Ravenhill, Charles Finney, C.T. Studd, those men have inspired me over years past. But to be frank, the men I've been the most inspired by are in this room. That's right. Men like Elder Charlie. Men like Matthew Pirro. Men like my own father. Yeah, come on. When I consider the sweet days of ministry that we're in, that God has allowed us to minister side by side. Man, I wish it didn't have an expiration date. Oh, me neither. But the reality is that the sun is setting at the same time it is rising on the other side of the globe that all belongs to God. What must happen in us is that we must experience the same kind of resurrection power that came out of their death. What must arise inside of this church is the death of one vision and the resurrection of another. We've been speaking to you about donkeys that are tethered. Do you remember how the glory rested on the younger one? See, one generation was causing this to come to pass, and you can see this happening between one generation of pastors and another, and the same must happen in the next. That's right. I'm looking at you, Tito. Yeah. Resurrection power is going to come into you. Yeah. Amen. Guys, on Sunday, our pastors, Wade and Pastor Matt, 
led us through an earth-shaking kind of revelation. Guys, do you remember just a few days ago what they were preaching to us predominantly from John 11 about? Guys, Martha and Mary, they were believers, just like you and I. They believed in the coming resurrection, just like we do. But that wasn't exactly Jesus' focus in the story, was it? No. (laughs) No, Jesus actually lingered where he was. We're talking about he stayed put for a little while. Took his time. We were asking ourselves, why is that happening? Lazarus is literally dying. And then he died. And then days went by, and Jesus still lingered. Why did he do that? It's because he understood the necessity of facing the very real reality of death. Come on. And how we must face that reality of death ourselves. The end result of this interaction, it was beautiful. Martha and Mary learned to trust in Jesus, not just for resurrection power on that day, someday far in the future, but we're talking about real resurrection power and trusting it in their present time. Oh, come on. An ongoing kind of resurrection power that they learned to operate in and to live in, not just in a current generation, Guys, that's too general for us. No, we're talking about power in and for every dying moment ahead. Every dying moment. So tonight, we want to begin with Abraham. Is that okay with you guys? That means we're going to go to Romans 4. And as you're finding verse 18, you are going to yell, Resurrection. Romans 4, picking up in verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Come on. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Did you catch that? Abraham was as good as dead, but his wife is in an even more impossible situation. Her womb was dead. He had to face the very real fact that his body was in an impossible situation to bring forth life. His life displays trusting God for present resurrection power in Christ. Saints, there's a cycle that Abraham teaches us. It's one of Death into resurrection power that advances the kingdom of God. Romans 4 makes it clear his body is as good as dead and then gives you the number behind it. Just to make sure that you understand. He's dead and he's about 100 years old. Hebrews 11.11 emphasizes this in his household. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Saints, Hebrews 11 comes to grip with the very real reality of death in Abraham's own life and wife. It makes it clear that in his household, nothing could be produced. 
And yet by trusting God in facing that death, very real, very present resurrection power of Christ came to life in his wife's womb. Guys, we're going to take this even one step further in Genesis 22, verse 16. And said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Guys, we have the benefit of knowing and understanding how this story ends. We have our Bibles and we get to read ahead in what happens in the story. Guess who didn't have that benefit when the Lord was speaking to him? Abraham didn't. He was facing death in his own son in this passage and he had to fully trust in resurrection power abraham actually had to trust like martha and mary were learning to trust that his resurrection power was for the present but the amazing thing is it wasn't just for the one generation it was so much more than that it was so much better than that It was for every promise that God had given him. You see, Abraham had to learn to trust in resurrection power for his own life. He had to learn to trust in resurrection power for his own family member, for his wife. And he had to trust in resurrection power for the nation that he knew that would come from him because his God spoke it to him, man. Come on. I love that pattern about one life, one family, and one nation. What we are talking about is not what's going to happen at the end, but what is actually happening right now in the present. For Abraham, it affected his faith, it affected his son, and every generation that would follow after him. Now, we have a slide for you. And we're going to recap what we just covered. In Romans 4, he faced the fact of death in his own body's inability to produce life, And God Almighty resurrected him as a man, his life. Hebrews 11, he faced death in his wife's womb that was as good as dead. And God resurrected him as a family. And in Genesis 22, he faced the death of his own son and the promises of God. And God resurrected him into a promised nation. Come on. Saints, is there anybody in the room that can empathize with Abraham here? I can. Yeah. When you find the faith to believe that you will be resurrected one day, and that grows to the resurrection power today inside of you, it's a whole other thing to have it for your household. And then watch it grow to the people around you that you can't see yet. But saints, you're on that kind of path. Our God is leading us along into what it means to possess the faith that death now will produce present resurrection in the world around us. You guys remember how Jesus wept in John 11? You remember learning that he wasn't weeping for all of the reasons that you thought at first? He was not weeping because of Lazarus' death. No, he was stirred. He knew that Lazarus would be resurrected by his own hands. He was stirred. Because of the unbelief that currently resided in the situation. 
not in Lazarus, but in the people around. You see, there's a resurrection now that has to come into us that is enough for the people around us. And it starts by facing death and unbelief in the face and turning on it in resurrection power. See, our Lord and Savior didn't just stop there with the resurrection of a dead man. No, after he called the dead man out, he continued on to cause belief to rise all around him. In fact, before he would even deal with the man who was physically dead, he began by calling out Martha and Mary from their present situation. Saints, this is what ongoing belief in resurrection power looks like. It resides in you. You're facing death and you're calling others to the same life. Now, we know that many a first-time homebuyer, like Hebron just bought a house, right? Now, many a first-time homebuyer, they go and they look for houses, and when they find one that's just right, they're all excited about it. I mean, and, and rightfully so. Perfect it's fit. a beautiful house. It fits perfectly for what we need, our family or our families in this case. It's also true when you go to remodel and go on a remodeling project, maybe in the home that you currently have. You're remodeling, you're doing it because, man, after I get this done, this is going to be a perfect fit right here. We just need to bust this wall down and put this header here, and then we'll put a window over there, and it'll be perfect for our family. However, somebody say however. However. However, However, every few years that go by, what do you end up doing? Well, you end up kicking it down again. You actually end up destroying, crucifying leveling, and then resurrecting it as the need for growth becomes apparent. Maybe you had another kid. Oh, that's not so perfect anymore. Maybe another family moves in. Oh my goodness, we might need to build out that garage, Parsons. That's right. Guys, this is actually a continual process. And as ministry grows, as your family grows, as your team grows, you find out Oh my goodness, I got to level and crucify that one more time. John 11 is really not the only time that Jesus himself had been stirred at this kind of need. He's looking at something and he's looking at it and it needs to be destroyed and renewed in resurrection power. That being said, we're going to go to Luke chapter 19 and we're going to start reading in 41 together. Someone say resurrection. Resurrection. Now say resurrection power. Resurrection power. This is Luke 19, picking up in 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Listen, he is not weeping over the destruction that is coming. He's weeping over their lack of revelation and unbelief in the present moment. Jesus is weeping over the unbelief of the people, not over the situation that God ordained for them to be resurrected from. He knew that 
their current state would not remain the same. Come on. He was going to resurrect that temple. He was going to resurrect his people yes. and raise them in glory with him. You know, later on in this passage, he goes on to say that my house will be a house of prayer. Can anybody in the room understand the reality of weeping over a current condition? Yes. But also knowing that it will be something more. See, Jesus here is weeping because he can see that they do not have the faith for the next cycle of death and resurrection. But he knows that it will produce life. See, I think in this room that the Lord is speaking to the three of us personally. And maybe it's just us about the need for faith to arise in this death and life process. No, it's not just us. Well, over the last few weeks, you've been learning along with us that two donkeys were required for what Christ has called us to. That a facing of death and present resurrection power would be required in both generations. You've learned that the glory of God rested on what was being produced in an ongoing fashion through that cycle of death and present resurrection. And it would rest on the young donkey. In the past few days, you've learned that Jesus wept for reasons other than what you have previously thought. Tonight, tonight we introduce you to a new thought about his temple, about the cyclical process of God who ruthlessly perfects those that he elects. <laughs> Guys, we used an example earlier about our own remodeling campaigns. We want to talk to you tonight about God's remodeling campaign. We're going to begin with a place called Shiloh. This is going to be in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 12. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name. Wow, that sounds like a truly special spot, doesn't it? Yep. He's talking about Shiloh and saying, this is the first place that my name dwelled. That's a special spot. Does anybody in this room remember the place that you first went on a date with your wife? Yeah. Well, this is the God of all creation, the first place he caused his name to dwell among men. The verse continues, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. Woo, that took a turn. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. Guys, God's going on a remodeling campaign. He did it in Shiloh. It was a special place, the place where his name first dwelled, where the people were able to interact with him. But what happened? It was destroyed. It was torn down. It was leveled, just like that remodeling project that you went on a couple years ago. So now we're going to go to Psalm 78. We're going to see how this process continues. This is verse 60 of Psalm 78. He abandoned the tabernacle of Shiloh. Oh, no. The tent he had set up among humans. He sent the ark of his might into captivity. Oh, no. His splendor into the hands of the enemy. Does that not sound like defeat? Like destruction? Like just the worst day that you could possibly have. But that's not where the story ends. Let's keep going in verse 65. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep. 
as a warrior wakes from the stupor of wine. And he beat back his enemies. And he put them to everlasting shame. He smote them on their parts behind. <laughs> that's our that's God. That's our God. That's our king. And that's our master. The very one who allows death to occur so that resurrection power can burst forth from it. The very real destruction of Shiloh produced a very real present resurrection power in Solomon's temple that enveloped the tabernacle structure. So we're going to interact with this for a moment. The place that God caused his name to dwell first. The place that he set his ark up. Not only did he allow for it to be leveled, he allowed for the ark of his testimony, the image of his presence, to go into captivity. Why? Why would a God of all creation that is all-powerful allow that to happen? He allowed it to happen because it was the only way to produce something that was better. Listen to me, saints. Your father loves you. Your father has called you, chosen you, elected you. The fact that you are sitting in this room right now is a testimony to God's kindness. And our God will absolutely let us go into captivity, death, and destruction so that he can rebuild you the way that he wants you. Amen. We're picking up with Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was not only grander, was not only larger, not only permanent, but it enveloped the tabernacle, as Peyton said. It had every bit of the good character of God that Shiloh had inside of it and then some. It was a greater testimony to the world at large. Nations streamed to it. Man, what will death in your preciousness produce on the other side of resurrection? We're just in Psalm 78. This is Psalm 79, verse 1. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. See, the same place that the tabernacle was enveloped by, that nations streamed to, that represented the kingdom of God on earth and is a shadow and type of the millennial reign, was reduced back down to rubble. Saints, I can't tell you how many times in a week I felt that. See, this is phase one of a remodeling project. Present crucifixion that always that will, that is determined to do so by the will of God, produce present resurrection. Verse 11 of the same chapter goes on to say, May the groans of the prisoners come before you. Does anybody remember prisoners of hope from Zechariah? With your strong arm, preserve those condemned to die or those who have been cast down to death. Now watch what happens when God places his arms on dying men. Pay back into the laps of our neighbors seven times the contempt they hurled at you, Lord. See, there's something that happens when we willingly, holistically submit to this death process and cease resisting it. Seven times the power of God is displayed to the adversaries of God. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever from generation to generation we will proclaim your praises. Amen. See, the present crucifixion of this generation was always meant to produce present resurrection in the next. Come on. 
What happened here when the grandest structure that had ever been seen was reduced to rubble was seven times the might of God's power being displayed in the generations coming afterwards. See, the enemy has always worked to oppose this. We think that his greatest opposition is attacking us. In fact, his opposition is only serving to crucify us further so that his power may be made manifest. Guys, that, that next iteration with Solomon, it was permanent, it was beautiful, it was an amazing temple. And yet, the people stared at it as it was reduced to absolute rubble. Interact with that in your heart for a moment. Staring at something that was glorious, full of grandeur, the greatest thing that they had ever seen before, and it was reduced to a pile of rubble. Come on. Can you imagine what the enemy must have been speaking into their ears in this, in this moment? In fact, we have what they might have been speaking in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, the thing that was rubble, the thing that was destroyed, and they were attempting to do something with it, the enemy, Sanballat, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Listen to this one. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Guys, the glory of God rests on the cycle and the process that we're preaching about tonight. You can see it in the cycle and the process of the destruction and the rebuilding of the temple. You see, when it gets back to the state of rubble, the enemy wants to shout and whisper and speak these discouraging moments and discouraging phrases to you. But what do you know that the enemy does not? Oh, the temple's going to come back to life again. God's going to bring resurrection back into this. He's going to bring it. And he's going to get glory from this cycle and the process being enacted in my life. Let's watch this glory be unveiled in Ezra chapter 6, picking up in verse 14. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. Listen to this. They finished building the temple according to the command of God, the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. What the world was accusing them of, that it was rubble that could not be rebuilt. God caused resurrection power and they completed the work. The very real destruction of Solomon's first temple produced a very real present resurrection power in the second temple. It had to be deconstructed so God's glory could be revealed in the next generation that was rebuilding it. And this is the temple that Christ himself walked into. It's what we sang about today. When Jesus walked into that temple and his disciples are praying. It, and he's like, if, if they don't praise me, then the rocks will cry out. But we are those who are not going to let the rocks cry out in our place. Oh, come on. That's better than you're acting like. Look me in the eyes. 
Do you want to walk with Messiah, LCM? Yes! Then stop shirking the rubble that God is bringing you into. Stop believing the doubting lies, the demonic thoughts that have recurred every month of your life. That it cannot be rebuilt. No, God destroyed you on purpose so that he can rebuild you better than you were before. Amen. You will walk with Messiah. The glory of this house will be greater than the former. Yes. And it will come through you staring death in the face and saying, I believe God's present resurrection. Yes. Do you want to walk with him? Yes. Then you need to know. That the temple that he walked into was destroyed once again in 70 AD. How does that happen? You would think you reached the pinnacle of all success when Messiah himself walks with you. When he comes into your presence. When you can feel God transforming you on a regular basis. In fact, he does all kinds of wonderful things in the temple we're going to learn about. But that temple was destroyed once again. And it points to something that is not historical alone, that is not eschatology alone, that is very real in this room right now. We, in our present age, live in the resurrection hope that that temple will be rebuilt once again. Amen. One without city walls, one that God dwells in and he is the light of the city. We are in the time in between resurrection. And yet we get to experience it ourselves in this moment as a testimony to what he will do with the temple. Yeah, presently. Yeah. Guys, presently in this cycle, the temple is a pile of rubble. It's a heap. But we know that there is going to be another temple. Yeah. There's going to be another one that's built. But we also know that that one is also going to experience another cycle of destruction. Wow. Again. We have another one in our purview happening in the future. And the cycle will continue and repeat itself. But guess what? In that temple, think about how glorious that's going to be. There is going to be literally an antichrist being destroyed. There's literally going to be the culmination of the ages, the very last week in eschatology happening. It's going to be glorious and a glorious time in history. After that one, though, we're going to have a temple that will never, ever be destroyed ever again. Let's go to Revelation 21 together. Guys, this is a temple that is so filled with resurrection power that death and destruction will never, ever have a hold on it ever again. It says in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. That's a glorious kind of temple being built, guys. There will be no more death. How glorious is that? No more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. As we're reading in Revelation chapter 21 about how our great king 
is going to bring us to the end of this cycle. He's going to bring us to the Come very on. culmination of destruction and resurrection. And we are going to participate in that with him. Amen. But you got to know something. The cycle itself is the vehicle yes. by which we come to this everlasting glory. Yeah. Come on. Guys, we don't get everlasting glory without the cycle that we see in the temple. We don't get it. We don't participate in it without this cycle in our own lives today. Death is what actually produces real, present resurrection power. Amen. And not somewhere else in us right now. Amen. Oh, come on. I know in this room. I've been hearing you study. There's men all around this room that have been studying Romans chapter 7. Specifically because it talks about the war that is being waged as Paul is fighting for righteousness and is experiencing death and life inside of him at the same time in a cycle. Some of you have said with your mouths and some thought in your hearts, when does it end? You're finally fighting for holiness on a level that is a great contest of faith. You know what it is to be at war with your flesh and you're ready for eternity. Saints, he is showing you what it looks like to long for that day and reject the temporal. You are learning to long for the city of God. I don't know if we have a time frame tonight, but can I be transparent with you? Yeah. I've had kind of a rough week with a lot of death. And if you're anything like me, you experience tough conversations with your boss, tough conversations with customers, tough conversations with your pastors, maybe with your spouse. And usually after the fact, when you realize that you are experiencing death, you start to recount everything that you've done. And if I had done this, and if I had done this, and if I had done this, maybe I could get out of the situation. Maybe if I had just been a little bit better, then I wouldn't have had to experience the death. Church, you hear us when yeah. Do you hear us when we say death has to occur for resurrection power to come forth? How might it change your interaction with your own failures when you say death is happening now, but tomorrow resurrection power is going to put me back on my feet? We say it's the vehicle. What does that vehicle run on? Wheels. How do you get a wheel to turn? What's on the bottom has to be brought to the top, and what's on top has to be brought to the bottom. Your successes need to die. And they need to go in the grave. And the areas that you once thought were lifeless need to roll to the top. Because this is how we move forward in the kingdom. If it's true of Jerusalem, it's true of you. That's why we're going to talk about Zechariah chapter 2, picking up in verse 3. Then the angel who was speaking to me left. And another angel came to meet him. Lots of angels running everywhere. And said to him, run, tell that young man. Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. Do you believe the scripture, church? Yes. Do you believe that that will happen for Jerusalem? Yes. Well, here's the reality. Jerusalem has to be destroyed before that happens. This is a very present Death that produces a very present resurrection, and it's replete both for the city of Jerusalem, and it's also true of your life. Guys, we want to talk to you for a moment about the construction of the temple that's being built. In Ezekiel chapter 41, I'm going to pick up in verse 5 with you. It says, then he measured the wall of the temple. It was six cubits thick, and each side room round the temple was four cubits wide. <laughs> 
The side rooms were on three levels. Hear this. One above another, 30 on each level. There were ledges all around the wall of the temple to serve as supports for the side rooms so that the supports were not inserted into the wall of the temple. The side rooms all around the temple were wider at each successive level. Are you kidding me? That's how God chooses to build his temple? The structure surrounding the temple was built in ascending stages so that the rooms widened as one went upward. We really wanted to make sure that you got that. A stairway went up from the lowest floor to the top floor through the middle floor. Guys, this kind of tethered work in building the temple, it happens between two donkeys, and we've been studying and preaching about that. It doesn't just produce more of the same. It does produce more of the same, but that's not the long and short of it. It actually produces a temple that is consecutively wider at each of these successive levels. Our crucifying moments, when we're present in death, these produce very real present power of resurrection life. And they're wider and they're stronger at each successive level. Our God is on a remodeling campaign, and he will purify the place where his name dwells. He will expand the place where his, his name dwells, and he will cause it to eventually envelop the whole entire planet. That's beautiful. There's some extraordinary craftsmen in the room, but there's not one that I know that can build out of stone, successively getting wider and wider as it rises into the sky. But our God is not your average remodeler. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 is going to bring this home for us tonight. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Saints, everything that we've been saying is 100% true of the temple. It's not a metaphor. It's not an example and a way for you to learn something. This is how God makes it into a supernatural structure that both Revelation, Ezekiel, and Zechariah describe as being of unearthly proportions. But God is doing the same thing with the temple that is in this room. We are the temple of God, and he is building us into something that is beyond natural means. And it comes through these cycles of present death, but present resurrection power. Just as we know the temple must be raised, then destroyed, and then it will come to a place where it will never be destroyed again. You can know that the warfare you are currently participating in, straining in, struggling in, is producing for you a temple that will never be destroyed. Saints, the question is how fast do we want to get there? Aiden made an analogy earlier out of the wheels on a vehicle. Well, I would like to turn up the RPMs. Come on. I like the growth that we're having. I like that my flesh is dying bit by bit and I'm being built into something better. Yes. Saints, this kind of faith that you are now learning to walk in, that you are experiencing on a daily kind of level, this is the royal faith of Abraham. This is the royal decree of Esther. This is the royal process that God has called all of us to. This is what brings us to the completion 
of the building, the structure where his name will dwell permanently. Amen. Guys, turn with us to John chapter 2. You're going to see this particular passage in a whole new light, in light of what we're preaching about tonight. Now, Jesus himself lived a life that displayed the pinnacle of understanding regarding this present resurrection process that we're speaking about. Yes. When you get to John 2, find verse 13, and let's read together. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Guys, Jesus is doing this in this particular passage, knowing that the temple that he's standing in, it's going to be destroyed and it's going to be resurrected again. So why even bother? What, why? Why be zealous? for? He was zealous for righteousness in the house of God, and it caused him to cleanse the wickedness that he saw wherever he went, in whatever stage of the process that he was in. Guys, we want to say tonight that we are ecstatic, yeah. ecstatic about the way that you cling to righteousness, the way that you guys are zealously whipping the wickedness that you see in your temple right out of your life. We're so excited at what we see in you. It's producing present resurrection power inside of you. Guys, we must cleanse our temples and understand that we're participating in the cycle of destruction unto resurrection in life over and over and over again. In fact, keep reading with us in verse 18. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Prove it to us, Jesus. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Amen. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Come on. He was talking about the destruction of his own body and the resurrection life that would come forth from it. It was the desolation and the reconstruction of the temple. But you can't reconstruct something if it hasn't been destroyed first. It had to be destroyed and resurrected all over again. Come on. The resurrection life that Jesus so confidently espoused, it's the same that resides inside of you, church. Doesn't Romans 8, 11 say that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living in you? Yeah. Well, that means resurrection life is going to come out of your dead situation. Hallelujah. It's only a matter of time. Amen. You know, they wanted a miraculous sign. What do you think of when you think of a miraculous sign? What comes to mind? Sign of Jonah. Sign of Jonah. Maybe you multiply some food. Maybe you fly. Who knows what it is? But hear me on this. The most powerful sign for your family, for the world at large, is to watch a man of God trust his father in death 
and wait for resurrection to come, come through him. You know, whenever you're weeping at night and you're praying and crying out to God, you are getting right with your father. And he's going to cause resurrection power to come forth from your situation. But I know when I'm praying at night and I'm broken, who's scattered around our room and watching me is my wife and my children. Come on, fathers. We can't run from the death process. We got to trust our father in it. And the promise is resurrection life is coming. So we have to ask you tonight, how many of you are the perfect iteration of the temple? So if you have not been perfected through this process, that means death and destruction is going to have to occur again. Come on. But this isn't, yeah, we want it. And it's not a cause for discouragement. It should be a cause for rejoicing because we are being perfected into what we were always called to be. Amen. All right, saints, can we teach you something for a minute? I believe it was Carlos that said the sign of Jonah earlier. When you're experiencing the crushing weight of the world around you, when thoughts like, who am I to do this for God? Who am I to speak in this group that God divinely ordained that I would be in? Who am I to pastor my home? Who am I to be able to endure this? Lord, do you know how weak I am? We want you to learn what it is to stare your enemy in the face and say, in three days, this temple will be resurrected. Enemy, you may kill me. I may not make it out of this alive, but my God will still raise me again. If we worry too much about making it out alive, you need to give that up and trust that your God will raise you back from the dead. Saints, you have a whole new status, a royal status. You are royal studs that are becoming like the royal stud. I have a slide for you that we'd like to review. Step one. Somebody say step one. Step one. Grab hold of your new status. Your new status is those That although you may be dying, you are presently being resurrected. Now being able to acknowledge that and grabbing hold of it are two different things. But I can see in your eyes tonight, you are learning what it is to grab hold of this kind of status. Now, you're going to take step two and make a declaration in conjunction with Messiah. Tonight, our declaration is, enemy... I will be raised. You may kill me. This may crush me. But I am presently being resurrected. And I will on the last day as well. Then man. You're going to take step three. When you actually have that newfound status living within you. When you've made your declaration. You begin to recognize your right to assemble. Not just in a crowd. Not just in a church. Not just in a group but to assemble with those who have that same status and are being resurrected along with you. And then, and you get to fight back like Ecclesiastes speaks about in a multi-stranded cord that is not easily broken, but even if it is broken, you know your God will raise it all once again. Then you're going to take advantage of your right to assemble. We're not just going to enjoy it. We're going to use it, and we're going to bring that fight to the enemy that is around us. Thanks. We are barely beginning to touch the effect that we will have on the world, that we will have on Houston, that we will have in your home and workplace. 
We are learning what it is to walk in resurrection power, and I promise you the fruit of the gospel is coming. We will raise up harvesters that will go to the nations. Then we're going to take the advantage of the assembly and arm ourselves, spiritually speaking. See, our God is giving us a whole new set of heavenly armor and heavenly weaponry. And we're going to teach each other how to use it. Guys, we know where we're going. It's so comforting to know where we're headed, to know that the cycle is going to deliver us. Listen to Revelation 3.12. Him who overcomes, raise your hand if you're an overcomer in this room. That's right. To you, to him who overcomes, God says, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. Guys, you know the cycle that we're going through. It's comforting to know where we're going, but the more mature view is it's comforting to know that we're right in the middle of the cycle of destruction and resurrection all over again. Guys, this gives us the right to lay stake and claim to our eternal reward, participating in this process in the here and now. Think about the first destruction of Shiloh that we talked about. Shiloh was great, but every single successive temple that came after was even greater than the previous one. And the final iteration will be without a doubt the most glorious. What do you think is going to happen with the final iteration of your temple? Come on. Church, we know and are looking forward to the day where we are a permanent fixture in his eternal kingdom. Yes. We know this is our future hope, and we are absolutely sure that it's going to happen. But what about today's temple cycle? What about your death and destruction and your resurrection power today? Oh, come on. Today, today we are going to assemble together and fight back. Today we are going to experience death and resurrection power. Today we are taking our stand together as one body building blocks, building his temple in our new status as resurrected sons of God. Today we embrace the decree of death because it is producing an irrevocable present decree of resurrection life in your generation. Let's go to our final passage of scripture together in Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house In its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? You see, they were standing there looking at the rubble that was before them. And the question came, does it not seem like nothing to you right in the here and now? Guys, no matter what stage of the destruction or reconstruction that we find ourselves in, How can we ever blame God for taking us through the process that will produce greater glory in the next generation? 
How can we ever blame him for saying, why? Why in my day today? I'm looking at this. I found myself here today on a personal level. God, today's hard. Why am I here staring at this rubble one more time? You know what he said? It's found in verse 4. Peyton's going to help us with it. But now, say now. Now. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Church, it is our time to experience death and the very present resurrection power. What I love about this body, what I love about my family as I stand before you tonight, is that we all paid a price to be here. Like, why do you value something? You value something because you had to pay something for it. When you are setting in your homes, when you're setting in your teams, when you're setting in these services, man, you should have something rising up in you when you're discouraged that says, no, I died to be here. And nothing's going to unwrench me from pouring into my brothers and sisters who are here to do the same thing for me. It's time to stay assembled and fight back in the power of the spirit. It's time to take our stand in our new status. And it's time to embrace the decree of death because it is important. It is producing in us an irrevocable decree of resurrection life. Amen. Saints, you are royal studs. We're just learning to think like royal studs. Yeah. We're learning to live like royal studs. The time in between is getting cut up and thrown out, and we're learning to see the world the way that our God does. Verse 6 goes on to say, This is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth the sea, and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Saints, there is a security when we know that we are facing death right now and experiencing present resurrection. Because what is coming on the earth is a shaking that every house will experience, and it will level every house But we are being made ready by being filled with his glory right now. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. In this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Saints, we want to tell you tonight that this process is producing something that you need to have a certainty about. It is producing a greater glory than what came before. You are creating something for the generations that are ahead. As this world begins to shake, as God brings shaking moments into your life, recognize it. It is death coming into you so that the process of present life-giving resurrection can flow into your generations. Saints, he will be faithful to us. He's not going to stop shaking us. He's not going to stop exposing us to death because just like Martha and Mary, he wants us to know what real resurrection is like now. We will glory in the temple that is the result of this process, both in ourselves 
and our children and our wives and in the house at large that he is building and the temples that are being created as a result of you embracing this process. Here and now, it is time for you to assemble. You are a royal stud of a royal line. It is time for you to assemble and fight back in the power of the Spirit. It is time for you to take your stand in your newfound status. You're a royally resurrected stud and nothing can keep you from rising again. It is time to embrace the decree of death because it is presently producing in you an irrevocable decree, one of present ongoing resurrection life that the enemy has no hold over. As Pastor Nick begins to pray, I'm asking you to cry out to your father, not because of the death you've experienced, not because of the failings that you've had, that he would help you grab hold of the status you already have, that we would cease to believe other lies in this house, that there would not be men who are so insecure that they can't see their father rightly. It is our job to represent to the rest of the world how good our God is. Saints, like a good father, he's teaching us about our new status and the family. Stand up, you royal studs. Father, tonight we reach up to you and we grab hold of our status as true sons in the faith, Lord. We reach up and we grab a hold of this cycle and this process of destruction and death unto life. And Father, we grab a hold of it firmly tonight. Father, we thank you for the status that you have given us, mighty King. Lord, it is great and glorious, and we can see what you have in store for us. Lord, we love where you are taking us, mighty King, and we thank you that we are at the greatest iteration of ourselves that we've ever seen. But Lord, we want more. We want more tonight, Lord God, and we grab a hold of the cycle in Jesus' name.